0: What's up, everybody? It's Jordan, and welcome to the Sports 2 High Show. Today is November 3rd, 2021, and on today's episode, we have so, so, so much to talk about. The college football playoff rankings were released last night. I'll talk about my rankings and why this rankings released last night was absolutely pathetic and way worse than anybody could have imagined. Uh, joining me in just a few minutes will be Ken, the Sports Guy. He was, you know, he's a big New York Jets fan. He was at the Jets' uh, Bengals game this past Sunday, where my Bengals absolutely blew it and made Mike White look like an MVP. We'll talk about the winners uh, and losers as the NFL trade deadline, Von Miller being traded to the Rams. Uh, we'll briefly talk about the Henry Ruggs situation. Uh, Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas both out for the year. Derrick Henry is out for six to ten weeks with a foot injury. Rodgers is out against the Kansas City Chiefs. So much more. So like I said, I'll go ahead and start talking about the college football playoff rankings. Uh, These, in my opinion, were horrible. Uh, The top six were number six was Cincinnati, number five was Ohio State, number four was Oregon, three was Michigan State, two was Alabama, and one was Georgia. I feel like pretty much 100% of America could agree that Georgia should be number one. If you're not saying Georgia should be number one, you're probably an Alabama fan. But Alabama number two makes zero sense. they lost to a team who they were picked to beat by by 19 points with a backup quarterback. Like, you know, A&M's starting quarterback got hurt months and months ago and out for the season. So they lost to a backup quarterback, even though they were picked to win by 19 points. Uh, A&M. Is very, very, very inconsistent. Alabama has not beat anybody that great. They struggled against Tennessee. They've struggled against other teams. They only beat Florida by two points. And looking back, that is a horrible performance, especially look at the Gators right now. I mean, there are two and seven out of Dan Mullen's last nine games against uh, Power 5 opponents. Florida is looking like hot trash right now. And the fact that you're only them by two doesn't really say much about the uh, Crimson Tide. This looks like, honestly, in my opinion, one of the worst Crimson Tide teams, uh, teams we've seen in several seasons. Number three is Michigan State. I don't get this at all. I know they came back and beat Michigan, but this is a Michigan State team who nearly lost to Nebraska in overtime. They've nearly lost a couple of other games. They've not really played great in some of their wins. Their wins have been this evening. Despite getting wins, they haven't really looked good. I don't think they should be number three. They're not the best team in the Big Ten, and that says a lot for me saying that because I know I ha- when you see my rankings, uh, you think I'm a Ohio State fan. I am not at all. I cannot stand Ohio State, but I feel like the disrespect for them in Cincinnati right now is absolutely ridiculous. Number four is Oregon. You know, Obviously, they beat Ohio State at the beginning of the season without you know their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end, who's right now projected to probably go first overall. And Oregon's lost to Stanford. Stanford is right now not ranked. They might not even be- go to a bowl game. So when you look at Oregon above Ohio State, I understand the head-to-head. But at the same time, at this standpoint, are we going to have Stanford ahead of Oregon just because Stanford beat Oregon? I, I do not understand this. Right now, if Ohio State played Oregon, it would not be a game. It would be over by halftime. Ohio State would beat them by at least 20 points, in my opinion. Oregon is the worst team, I would say, probably in the top six. Oregon was very fortunate. They played Ohio State. At the right time, look at Ohio State. They're one of the youngest teams in the country playing against a freshman quarterback. Lots of these guys are young for Ohio State. You have Williams, the running back, who's a freshman as well. So you're playing, you know, you obviously you're playing in Columbus, which is a very p- difficult place to win. You have the best win of the college football season so far, getting a very impressive win uh, at the shoe against Ohio State. But look at the time you played them. I feel like that's what we talk about in college football the most. It's great when you have wins against you know good teams, but when did you play them? Right now, like when you played them back then, Ohio State was at the worst. You played them right now, but like I said, it would not even be close. And Ohio State's number five. I, 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 in a way, I get to head-to-head, but I just don't get it. Like Stanford to me, are you going to put them over Oregon? Are you going to put other teams over this? Like it just doesn't make sense. Right now, Ohio State, in my opinion, is the second best team in the country. They are playing out of their minds. Obviously, you know, they did not beat the spread against Penn State, but I feel part of it was because Penn State was actually very, very good that game. They played great on all three phases of the game. But, I mean, they scored over 50 points against Indiana. They scored 50 points in two previous games. C.J. Straud, uh, the game prior to the Penn State game, has had at least four touchdowns in over 300 yards in all three of those games with no interceptions. He's playing out of his mind right now. And Cincinnati is number six. And I know I'm a Bengals fan. You know, if you haven't seen my videos before, I'm a diehard Bengals fan. That does not make me a Bearcats fan. I am not a Cincinnati Bearcats fan at all. But I'm getting sick and tired of the Group of Five hate for no reason. They beat the 10th best team in the country, which is Notre Dame. They beat Indiana. They're undefeated right now. What more do you possibly want them to do? And we're looking at it right now. You see Alabama and Georgia both are two and one. They're going to play each other in the SEC championship game. If it, play, if it, if it was right now, there's no, a, no way um, Alabama would beat Georgia. Michigan State will play Ohio State in a couple of weeks. Whoever loses that game is more than likely out of the top four teams in the college football playoff. And then it, it's interesting because Oregon, if they went out, there's a good chance Oregon's going to be in the playoffs, which is kind of understandable if they if they beat Ohio State and they did have one loss, but they, that High State win is very impressive. If they went out, I would have no issue being a, with Oregon being in a top four. But then you look at Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma's really the odd team out in this. Oklahoma's eight right now. They've not played anybody great. They've played very, very bad in the the games that they've won. They should have lost to Kansas. They should have lost a couple other games. They played horrible against Tulane, who's a one-win team right now. Even if Cincinnati wins out, which they should, and Georgia beats Alabama, which they should, Ohio State, Michigan State, it can go either way. Whoever loses is out. There's still a realistic chance Cincinnati can miss the a football playoffs. And I'm not trying to overreact just because of one ranking, but you, when you really look at it, there were some people, including myself, I thought there was a chance Oklahoma could have been uh, higher than Cincinnati. But, you know, Cincinnati's sixth, Oklahoma's eighth. Oklahoma has not played the best of their schedule. Once they play their best teams of their schedule remaining, they still have to play Oklahoma State, who's, you know, ranks in the top 15. When you play those teams, then there's a realistic chance Cincinnati could be jumped by Oklahoma, and it's a worst-case scenario for the Bobcats. Just to prove that the college football playoffs is nothing more than a group of five basically hate rankings. Look at this rankings right here. Um, If you can see it, it says not ranked by the playoff committee, but ranked by the AP poll. UTSA is not ranked, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. They're the only team in the country who is not currently ranked in the top 25 who is undefeated. Houston, they are ranked in the AP poll, but they're not in the uh, playoff committee. Coastal Carolina, SMU. Louisiana. If you spot the difference right now in the common denominator, it's the fact that all five of these teams are a group of five teams. They hate the small schools. That's why they have Cincinnati number six. And I mean, it is ridiculous. If you don't have Cincinnati in the top four, I think it's stupid. If you have them five, maybe I could get it. But six is absolutely disgrace to Cincinnati because there's nothing more they can do. They've done everything you've asked them to do, and you still treat them like absolute trash. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous to college football. This was going to be the year that a group of five team possibly could have been in the college football playoffs. Right now, it's—I mean, it's still possible, but way, way, way more things have to go their way than originally planned. Six, Cincinnati right now is just absolutely ridiculous at number six. So that was the college football playoff rankings. Number six was Cincinnati, five Ohio State, four Oregon, three Michigan State, two Alabama. And number one, Georgia. Here's my rankings real quick. I have Michigan State number six. That that was a very, very impressive win against Michigan this past week. But like I said, they've played very inconsistent at times. And uh, they, they should have, honestly, you can make a case. They should have had a loss right now. You know, that Nebraska game, they've played some bad others. Number four, excuse me, number five is Oregon. I know they have, to have the head to head against Ohio State. But they had the worst loss at, at least six teams, I personally believe. Oregon is probably the worst team out of all of these six teams in the college football playoff rankings. Um, I don't think they have a shot against any of these teams right now. Uh, if they played Ohio State today, it would not be a contest. Number four is Alabama. They do not look at like the same Alabama team. Uh, you know, they lost against AM, which is a p- p- pitiful performance. You know, they they played bad against Florida. They played bad against Tennessee. They played bad against uh, other schools. Uh, not the same Alabama team. Uh, number three is Cincinnati. Um there's no way I could have a Cincinnati above Ohio State right now. Cincinnati has done everything they possibly can and they have to be in the top four, in my, my opinion. There's no reason they shouldn't be in the top four. Cincinnati's better than Michigan State. Cincinnati is better than Oregon. And uh I, I just feel like Ohio- uh Cincinnati's not been playing up to their, you know, competition as of late. You know, they had a stumble stumbling block against, you know, Navy kind of struggled there, struggled against I believe Tulane week or so ago, and then number two, I have to have Ohio State. I know I sound crazy. I know Oregon has the head-to-head. Right now, the two best teams in the country are, in my opinion, not even close. It's Georgia and Ohio State, and everybody is a major, major drop-off. Ohio State is playing out of their minds right now. If you're a team, if you have them on your schedule, it's you might as well go ahead and mark it as a loss. And this Ohio State-Michigan State game is going to help Ohio State's resume. I don't think it's going to be as close as people anticipate. I know that Penn State game was close, but Ohio State did play good. Assisted defense for Penn State really stood out in that game. Obviously, Georgia number one, but I feel like I I know having Ohio State's number two is very questionable. But I feel like right now, I know their resumes want to speak for themselves soon, uh, beating Michigan State and probably you know Michigan. Ohio State and uh, Ohio State and Georgia, I think, are the two best teams in the country. And you see the the two and three, Ohio State and Cincinnati. If you're a fan of football and if you live in Ohio, I mean, that's like a dream match. You know, the big brother against little brother, Ohio State against Cincinnati. Luke Fickle's former uh, team. You know, Ohio State that that has amazing, you know, uh, ratings and everything like that has potential to be an amazing game, but ultimately right now, I think Ohio State would win. Ohio State played all these teams in the top six. They would beat every single team except Georgia. Uh, this was just a horrible, 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 uh, college football playoff rankings by the committee. You know, I expected it to, I expected it to be bad, but I don't think anybody could have possibly imagined it'd be this bad. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, you know, next Tuesday with the rankings, because, you know, there's some big games this week. Um, So joining me now is Kenny the sports guy. You know, Kenny was able to attend the Jets-Bengals game this past week. Um, You know, his favorite team, the Jets, was able to defeat uh, my favorite team, the Bengals. Pitiful, pitiful game by Cincinnati. Um, How you doing today, Kenny? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing really, really good. Uh, good, glad you know you can be on the show and everything. You know that's kind of where you know we're going to start the, today's topic. You know, you joining the show was the Jets-Bengals uh, game. So, what were your kind of initial reactions to the game and just the overall performance of Mike White? And you know, what were your thoughts on the Jets' impressive victory against Cincinnati?
1: Well, first and foremost, I came into MetLife Stadium with very little expectations because I was expecting, like, a blowout since Zach Wilson was not playing. So when I got to the stadium, I had to look up who was Mike White. And apparently he was drafted by the uh, Cowboys a couple years ago, was released, and now signed with the Jets. And in my mind, I I thought that, you know, he's going to throw, like, five interceptions, like a Nathan Peterson kind of game. So when he started to swing the ball well, I was like, who is this guy? And at the end of the game, he threw up for over 500, I mean, 400 yards. And I was just shocked to be honest that the Jets actually beat the Bengals on Halloween day. It was just amazing.
0: And it's interesting because you look at the Jets, and you know, the Jets hitting into the season, they didn't really have much expectations. You know, obviously having Wilson that has some other guys. The Jets are one of those teams, maybe you see four or five wins, but they're obviously not going to be in the playoffs. To me, I thought the Jets are one of those teams who, they might not get many wins, but they're going to be competitive and have those occasional upsets. Oh, yeah. It, it's oh yeah. because, I mean, we're eight weeks in the NFL season, you know, week nine this week. The Jets have two wins, but two of their wins are against the two of the three best teams in the AFC, you know, the Titans and the Bengals. The no see Titans. Yeah, and nobody expected that. And at the time, you know, just last week, you know, the number one seed Bengals, and this was without Zach Wilson, you know, Mike White was a guy I've seen before. You know, I'm a, I'm a diehard Marshall fan, and he played at West Kentucky. They're in the same conference. I've seen Mike White a couple of times play in person, mm-hmm. and he was a guy who wasn't really great. He was best in those like short intermediate passes, 10, 15 yards. And that's really exactly what, you know, the Jets' game plan was absolutely executed perfectly against Cincinnati. You know, those four or five, six yard passes to their running backs. You know, Michael Carter had tons and tons of yards. He, he had, was a player of the game. Yeah, Johnson had uh, lots of receptions as well. I, they had over 150 uh, receiving yards just within their running backs, which is really unheard of. And it's really surprising against a team like Cincinnati, who we're talking about heading into the Jets game, has a top 10 defense. You know, they were really able to shut down this Baltimore offense the week prior, hoarding them to just 17 points. So I, the game plan by the Jets was ran perfectly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was surprising that Robert Sala, who I feel like right now, you know, heading into that Bengals game has kind of had some unnecessarily criticism towards him when you look at all the injuries and how bad their offense line has been at times. But, you know, with that to being hurt, you know, Zach Wilson being injured, but looking at, you know, Robert Sala outcoached Zach Taylor, and Zach Taylor's uh, game plan and his play calls at times were good. There were sometimes things like, you know, Tyler Boyd passing to Mixon, uh, Jamar Chase going uh, in the backfield for a rushing attempt. You know, some of these trick plays, you you know, you if you watch male games, you're even surprised that he's having these type of play calls. Yeah, I was attempts. shocked. Then there's other times where he just has these dud play calls. And it's so weird because I, I said it before we started. Last week, I admitted I was wrong about Zach Taylor. He finally has a very, very impressive win. We're first place in the AFC, and then he has a dud performance this week, and I feel like I I may have may have, uh, you know, said I'm sorry that I was wrong about Taylor a little bit too early. But, you know, Taylor's game plan, you know, we had th- over 30 points. 95% of the time, when you score 30 points in the NFL, you're going to win. You know, mm-hmm. our defense for New- Lou on tomorrow was pitiful. Uh, you know, this is his third season. I would say there's a – there's a good, you know, debate that you would say this was his worst game as a defense coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals and lots of Bengal fans, you know, at the end of the game towards the end, you know, Burrow has that pick and then the Jets score and then they're up. And then, um, you know, the Jets have the ball. It's, it's third and long. And and then you think it's going to be a holding penalty, but instead it's unnecessary roughness by Mike Hilton. And and this right here. And it's interesting. And it should never come down to this. Like, if, if you want to make like an, a major, major excuse and if we're playing against a great team, I can maybe get it. But when you're playing against the Jets, who are, let's be honest, one of the worst teams in the NFL heading into that game with a backup quarterback. You, you get quarterback,
1: no argument from me there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and a backup quarterback who has never started the NFL game you should never, ever, ever be in that situation where you're coming from behind against a team you were picked to win by 10 points against. You know, this is a Bengals team who's starting to have expectations. And you know, in this, you know, in that game, they're the number one seed in the AFC. You're playing against a team who had, I believe, the worst record, tied for the worst record in the AFC. It should not happen. Like, I understand if you want to make excuses in a different scenario against a great team, but when you're playing pitiful against a not good team, when you make excuses like that, you just make yourself look bad and the fan base look bad Mm -hmm. because I I feel like we are in the cups, of you know, uh, capable of being uh, in, uh, in the playoffs and having a playoff win. But when you're a good team and if you want to be one of these elite teams, you should not be making excuses about one penalty uh, possibly, even if that wasn't a penalty, you're still having to go down the field and at least you know score, which at times was inconsistent for the Bengals to do. But the the complaining of the uh, penalty was just unnecessary, and I feel like the, the Jets just played overall great. I mean, they won all three faces of the game. The Bengals, you know, shot themselves in the foot. They had opportunities and they just blew it. There is times where you don't really see them mess up this season, but you know. There's memories of the last season where, you know, we just screw up when we shouldn't. It's like the Bengals. You know, you it's hard to have expectations for them, and you get to get your hopes up because you number one seed, you just beat one of the best teams in the NFL, and then you lose one of the worst teams in the NFL. Just a, a pitiful performance by the Bengals and a very good performance against the Jets, who have lots of momentum, you know, heading into tomorrow's game against the Colts.
1: Well, they have to because Mike White is supposed to be the next uh, lord and savior of the Jets right now. and. He has to produce now because Zach Wilson is out for, I think, four weeks. One, uh, the Jets' offense is finally clicking after, after nine games now, and they need to get it together uh, right now because the, the division is technically still in play for them. Uh, I don't see them winning the division, obviously, but they're like probably at least maybe three, to four games back in their division if they continue to win, but. I see the Bills winning the division, obviously. The Patriots are still going to be there because they're still the Patriots because of Belichick. But as for the Jets, I think uh, their schedule is going to be a little bit more in favor of them because they're going to be facing teams that, on paper, that they're going to beat, that should beat, but they won't. But I'm I'm actually excited for Mike White and uh, the Jets this season.
0: So you know, obviously the Jets play tomorrow on Thursday Night Football against the Colts. Uh, what are your kind of expectations, and what, you, what is your score prediction for that one?
1: I honestly, I have no expectations for the Jets. I want to keep it low because uh, if I keep it high, they'll usually disappoint me. <laughs> but I think uh, Carson Wentz is going to throw a lot of interceptions to to the Jets, and surprisingly, it might be a blowout for the uh, for the Jets. I think uh, Colts defense is a little bit too suspect. Um, Carson Wentz, he, he's throwing interceptions left and right. The running game isn't really that good in Indianapolis. So my prediction will have to be maybe 24-3 to just, just tomorrow.
0: It's interesting because when you watch Carson Wentz, there's moments where he you know has a flash and he just looks great. And then the next play, it's like what the heck was that? Like that was horrible. That looks like something a high school quarterback shouldn't even be doing. Exactly. Like, like, watching the um the 49ers game. You know, it was pouring rain. Uh I don't remember the receiver he threw to, but it was a terrific like 50-60 yard bomb. Amazing pass. Like one of the best passes I've seen by Wentz. Mm-hmm. And then like the next drive, he should have threw like two should have been interceptions, but the you know corner's dropped it cuz you know it's raining so hard. But with Carson Wentz and consistency is what really makes this game interesting. And the one thing it—I don't know if it helps the Jets or not—is because this is on like a short, you know, week. Because the the uh, the Colts don't really have as much time to prepare for Mike White, who hasn't really seen much experience in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it might be kind of you don't really have as much time for a game plan against him. But it's interesting because when you look at quarterbacks who have these one great games. Um, we, we see in the past, they just kind of like fall off. You know, uh, Taylor Heineke, you know, played last season in the playoffs. You know, he loses, but he played great. You know, and then you look at uh, this year, you know, he plays good in the uh, uh, primetime game and he wins against the Giants. But since then, he hasn't really been playing good. Uh, I know this is really, you know, off topic. You know, like I said earlier, I was a big Marshall fan. You know, Rakeem Kato was like uh, amazing around here. He was the best, one of the best quarterbacks in school history. Yeah, I, I'm a man. You know, He was up there, you know, with Chad Pennington, you know, former Jet, Byron Lefwich. And, you know, he didn't really have a chance in the NFL. So he played in the CFL. And it was his first CFL start. He really took, like, the CFL by storm that one week. He had, like, four touchdowns. He nearly had as many touchdowns as he had in completions. He was phenomenal. Nobody in the CFL really heard of him. And then the following week, he sucked. And then the following week, he sucked. And, like, the game plans for a quarterback who just has one good game, like, these guys, these cool stories who, you know, have one good game, and then after just they just kind of, like, fall apart. And it's interesting with Mike White. I wouldn't be shocked. We maybe kind of saw a similar resemblance because when you look at uh, Mike White, you know, when it came to the deep ball, he was good, but he was kind of inaccurate at times. But, you know, if you study those little five, six-yard passes, once you start looking at him and you know his tendencies, they're not going to be hard to stop. So it's interesting this one. Uh, I think it'll be a close game. I think the Colts are picked by 10 in this one. I'll probably say... The Colts 17 to 13. But I, I think it is possible we see the Jets uh, having another upset win because just the inconsistency of Carson Wentz in this Colts team, because they should really be much better than they are. But this Jets team has proven, I mean, beating the Titans and beating the Bengals. I mean, if they're capable and beating those two teams, they're definitely capable of being this uh, Colts team tomorrow night.
1: Well, they're actually more than capable. Um, that's why I chose to, uh, for them to beat the Colts because, like, I think the office is actually clicking. It's, uh, to be honest with you, I think the office is actually better under uh, Mike White than Zach Wilson. Look, I know Zach Wilson is a rookie, and he still has some groin pains to do, but he needs to you know, learn from Mike White and to just watch tape on him and just uh, just apply his game to, uh, hit, hit to Zach Wilson as well. I think with him, with uh, Zach White, I mean, um, Mike White, he needs to, you know, have the same plan that he did, like I guess the Bengals, with short passes, like, you know, little moderate plays that get the offense going, and then he could just throw it deep down down the field. And he knows. He might catch another touchdown pass.
0: (laughs) And it's interesting with White. I feel like Wilson, I know it's just one game, but I feel like Wilson can learn some stuff from uh, Mike White because – when you watch Wilson play, he's one of those guys, he wants to home run ball every single play. He you know, does. 40, 50-yard passes, which, I mean, we've seen the BYU. He's perfectly capable of doing it. We've seen him do that BYU. He was terrific. But in the NFL, it's much harder to do those passes because, you know, the yards of separation are much, much closer compared to college. Level competition, much harder in the NFL. But, you know. Having these five, six yard passes can benefit Zach Wilson a lot more. Mm-hmm. There are much, much, much higher completion percentage passes, much more likely to not be a turnover. And even if you get four or five yards, do it a couple of times to first down instead of, you know, heaving at 20, 30, 40 yards and risking the interception percentage. I don't even know by how much, and even incompletion. So I feel like that standpoint, Wilson can learn a lot from Mike White. And if Wilson can start doing that more often, I feel like this, you know, when he gets healthy, I feel like this Jets team wants to get healthy. They can be really, really talented. I know the offense line is still kind of an issue. But yeah, I think in a, year, I, in a year or two, uh, this Jets team is going to be pretty good.
1: I totally agree. Just give it like two to three years, and there will be a playoff contender for sure. They might overtake the Bills in the AFC East one, uh, one year.
0: And it's interesting because – you know, last season with the Chargers, you know, the Chargers uh, ended the season strong having four straight wins. And you look at the Chiefs, you know, everybody thought, oh, the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. And then right now the Chiefs are the third best team in the AFC West. So, I mean, really anything can happen. And, you know, we kind of mentioned playoffs. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, yesterday was a trade deadline. And when you're a playoff caliber team or you're a team who's near the Super Bowl uh, caliber, you got to have that one more step to really elevate your team to the next level. And try to take it instead of a playoff contender, turn it into a Super Bowl contender. And you know there was there wasn't really many trades. Obviously, Von Miller is the one that stood out the most. Um, but you know, I thought there would have been more trades. Uh, but who was someone like the winners and losers in your opinion at the trade deadline for all these NFL teams?
1: Well, I think the winner is clearly the Rams because they acquired uh, Van, Von Miller. When he's when healthy, he's like the best linebacker in the league. And as for the losers, well, there's, like, a number of teams that uh, didn't really do anything, but they didn't really need to. So, let's say, for example, the Cowboys. The Cowboys, I would love to see them add another defensive player. And uh, the offense is still top-notch. They didn't need another wide receiver. They didn't didn't need another uh, running back. As for the other loser I have, I would have to say maybe the – Dolphins and the Texans because of Deshaun Watson. Because over the last few months, Deshaun Watson was linked to being traded to the Miami Dolphins. Like it, it got, it, it intensified so much that trade was imminent. But at the la- at the 11th hour, uh, the owner of the Miami Dolphins just said no. And he just uh, he said that he didn't need Watson up to that point. So, I would have to say the Dallas Cowboys are the losers. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are also losers. And the Houston Texans are also losers. And winners is clearly the, the Los Angeles Rams.
0: I would say one winner, obviously, that would be the Rams. You know, I mean, you have Von Miller. You have Jalen Ramsey. You have Aaron Donald. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. I mean, you've mm-hmm. traded to get Ramsey. You've traded to get Stafford and Von Miller. I mean, you... Have it's like in a Madden franchise, you know, you're doing all these trades and it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. But you know, that, you know Von Miller is not what he used to be, but I feel like that's just an extra step and extra piece for this Rams team who's already a Super Bowl contender. They might not be the best team right now, but when you're looking on paper, I feel like the Rams are definitely up there and one of the best teams on paper in the NFL. Uh, agree me. He mentioned Dolphins, but I'm gonna say the Dolphins for not that reason. I, I don't feel like this Sean Watson. Uh, Trade was necessary right now because I know like if Deshaun Watson was traded he could have played for the Dolphins But even if they went out, there's still a possible chance that they wouldn't even make the playoffs So I feel like Watson being traded at the in the offseason is more likely but with the Dolphins to me uh Xavier Howard, like I do not understand why you would not trade him. After the season, he still has three years on his contract. And you know, he's one of the more higher paid corners in the league. But by the time his contract ends, that's gonna be cheap for a corner. So he's not gonna he doesn't have that bad of a deal as people think. When you look at teams who need corners, you know, I, I know the Buccaneers, I don't think they have enough cap space, but you know, they could use some corner help. You look at other teams, you mentioned Dallas They could use some defensive help. Obviously, the, the Miami Dolphins are not going to be playoff contenders this year Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. They might be contenders right now at having the first overall pick. So why would you not trade Xavier Howard for extra first-round pick for a team who possibly, as of right now, looks like it possibly could be in the re- rebuild mode, mode and something else? The Dolphins do not have their own first-round pick. The Eagles have that pick. They have the San Francisco 49ers uh, first-round pick this season. So once the 49ers start getting healthy and everything, and like George Kittle and all those guys come back, the Niners are going to start winning games, and that's really going to affect the Dolphins, you know, where they're going to draft. Since they don't have theirs, you can't rely on your own draft pick having one win. You're not, you're not going to have that. So why not trade Howard and get a first and maybe a fourth to help that? You know, you're having two first-round picks. Maybe you trade that uh, in hopes of, you know, giving more up for the Watson in the offseason. And something else, one other team I have – Put winners and losers. I'm gonna say for the winners uh, is the Broncos, and I know some people might say that's kind of dumb, but Von Miller, I believe it's the final year of his contract. They got a second and a third round pick. This is a team who, on paper, is extremely underrated. They can just find that quarterback. I think they are going to be outstanding. And second and third round pick isn't bad for a team who's kind of in the middle of the bubble. I mean, you can you can get you know a starting you know wide receiver who can you develop or starting you know. Uh, another defensive player who can develop as well. So, well, I don't dislike that trade. I understand some people are mad. Why would you trade Von Miller? He's done everything for your franchise. But it was kind of, it felt like he kind of wanted out of Denver because the Broncos, despite being 500 right now, they are not good. You know, they started off 3 and 0, but those teams they beat, you know, combined record of 0 and 9. Like their record is very deceiving. And with, I, I I would have them as the winners. And one other loser to me is the Green Bay Packers. With Robert Tonyan out for the season, there is no reason the Packers should have not traded for a tight end. I, I don't get that at all. And a tight end that really stands out to me, I mentioned Miami, was Mike Gasecki. Mike Gasecki's in the final year of his contract. And the Packers don't have much salary cap right now. But with Gasecki at the uh, final year of his contract, the Packers would be able to make that move. And you could even trade and um, overpay if you wanted to to make that trade, to get one of the better tight ends in the league, to help Rodgers get more weapons, because this is, you know, the the last dance for Rodgers and everything like that. And even, you know, Dallas uh, Gobert, you know, the tight end of the Eagles, they're also in a reveal situ- uh, situation as well. And Gobert's in the final year of his contract too. Um, Evan Ingram, I know he has, I think he has more drops and touchdowns in his career, and he's hurt half the time. Mm-hmm. But even those three tight ends, I felt like, could have been so beneficial to the Packers, I was honestly surprised the Packers not make one of those moves because, I mean, now's your chance. I mean, Tanya, you know, put him on just about any other team. He's not going to have that much of an impact. But the fact he's basically your second weapon in Green Bay, now he's out for the season. Um, and, and even when Devontae Adams was out, you know, Rodgers, he didn't have as good as weapons. You know, when you have guys like Randall Cobb having to step up, and I know other guys were out as well. But the not getting a tight end for Green Bay, I thought was really, really the wrong decision. I know some people think, you know, stay put. You have the best regular in the league. Just keep it that way. But you have to get you have to make that one extra step to make your like help your team even more. To instead of being in the NFC Championship game and losing every year, getting one more impact player and making the Super Bowl instead.
1: What about the Kansas City Chiefs? I have them as a loser also.
0: I I don't know. i they're kind of in the bubble. Like I, I don't feel like. I don't know. They don't have, they don't have a kind of cap space. I I like the Melvin Ingram trade. You know, they traded a 6 round pick for him. I don't dislike it, but he's kind of towards the end of his career. Like, yeah, I would I would if I had to pick, I would probably put the the Chiefs more as a loser than the winner because it's the Chiefs team, you know, who is not good right now. They're eventually going to get better, but if you give them some more pieces, they're they're going to get better and have the expectations like they once were heading into the season. And they're one of those teams. They're not going to have these guys in contracts forever because you know they paid Mahomes a stupid amount of money. So 500 yeah, I, million. yeah, I could I could get why um, uh, the Chiefs would be a losers.
1: Well, I think the they should have added more pieces to the defense and the O line as well, and also another running back could have hurt because that offense right now is I hate to say it, it's a little bit stagnant. But it's not the offense's fault. It's more Patrick Mahomes because. Mahomes is getting really, really cocky on his throws. And it actually shows, like, when you watch him on tape. Say, for example, like uh, the last game, well, the game against the Titans, he threw an interception while he was sacked, which is unnecessary. And I feel like Mahomes is going to, I wouldn't say Mahomes is losing it. He's losing his skills because he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But He's just getting more and more cocky every game, and that's not good at all.
0: And you mentioned that play. You know, that play probably won't be shown on ESPN, but when Mahomes does a simple, like, 15-yard pass to Kelsey for a touchdown, that'll be all over ESPN. Exactly. Like, I, 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 I do not get I've never understood the obsession with Mahomes. Matthew Stafford has done plays like that for over a decade in the Lions, but nobody cared or nobody even listened or looked or anything because he played for one of the most – Uh, embarrassing franchises NFL history Mm -hmm. Detroit Lions and they didn't win games but when Stafford does it with the Rams oh did you see what Stafford did it's so it's very aggravating but it's interesting there's lots of you know things with the deadline you know kind of expecting more trades to happen yesterday and kind of staying in the AFC West but not for a good reason you know yesterday was supposed to be You know, trade deadline, Watson could be dealt, you know, who everybody could be dealt. There's going to be tons of trades. It it was very weird because the, you know, I don't know, the the mood kind of changed, you know, yesterday when everybody's talking about the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. You know, Obviously, we haven't heard by now, you know, if you're watching, you know, Henry Ruggs was involved in a, you know, DUI, uh, you know, car crash that actually killed someone and that person's dog. And it was, I looked at my phone in the car before we started. I believe uh, Henry Ruggs' car was going 162 miles per hour. Two seconds before the crash. Like, to me, I'm just, I don't really want to talk about this for a long time. I'm just simply going to say, um, Henry Ruggs 100% deserves jail time or prison time, whatever. He should never, ever, 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 ever play NFL snap Um, in the NFL again. Uh, this is just it, it's so ridiculous when you when you have the money and you're capable of calling an Uber or a taxi or something like that and you don't and you could have prevented this. This is it's just so frustrating because you know we've talked about the 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 Sean Watson allegations, but I mean to me this just you know overtops it because this took someone's life that really could have been prevented. It's it's just a sucky sucky situation.
1: Well, I agree. I think he deserves a, a jail time. Um I think uh, Michael Dolores is going out to the victim. And this is just an unnecessary tragedy that didn't need to happen. All he had to do was just call Uber or Lyft, and the girl would be still alive along with her dog. It's just a really, really, really sad situation. And I wish nothing but peace to the victim.
0: And and it sucks because you hear people say, oh, well, you know, rugs, pray for rugs and all that stuff. Like, to me, that's like, there's no issue with praying for somebody and they're having a thoughts and stuff like that. But it's very aggravating when he's the one who caused this and he took someone's life. And it it just sucks to see because, I mean, it easily could have been prevented. And it I mean, his career's over, that person's life's over, that dog's over. It, it sucks because it's one of those things, like, it, it should never happen because it easily could have been prevented. But, um you know, yesterday, you know, there was kind of talks about, you know, the like, squishing gears. uh You know, there was talks maybe the Saints could make a move for a quarterback. You know, Jameis Winston was announced he's out for the season. I believe Taysom Hill is injured right now. You know, there was rumors about maybe Sean Payton could call Drew Brees to come out of retirement. And today, I woke up with the news that Michael Thomas was out for the season. which sucks because I elected to keep Michael Thomas in one of my dynasty football leagues instead of keeping DJ Moore. So I'm really ticked off about that. But, you know, with Michael Thomas, you know, he's been out. He hasn't played a snap for the Saints so far. And the Saints have a very, very, very impressive win against the Buccaneers this past week. uh, Scoring worth 30 points, basically with Trevor Simeon, the majority of the game. And you look at it. The Saints, you know, they only have two losses. I believe they're five and two right now, something like that. And they're without their starting quarterback. They're without. They've been without their number one receiver for the whole season. So it's kind of surprised the Saints didn't make any moves. And now it's interesting. Maybe uh, the Saints could, you know, sign a quarterback or you know, sign a top or wide receiver. What are your kind of whole thoughts on this, you know, uh, injury situation going on in New Orleans?
1: Well, I don't know how in the world they beat the the Buccaneers uh, last Sunday, but somehow they put it off. And I think uh, Winston being out for the season is going to hurt this team. But they do have Taysom Hill, but I don't know if he's injured or not. But there's also one name out there that Sean Payton might call, and it's probably the most unlikely as candidate. It's uh, Phillip Rivers. So reportedly – Rivers told, uh, he gave an interview with a uh, journalist and he said, Oh, um, if the Saints uh, give me a call, I will gladly come out of retirement. So maybe Phillip Rivers might be a good sense for the Saints' offense since, you know, he's out, he's one year out from his last NFL game. He can still sling the ball around. And despite the, you know, the depleted offense that the Saints have, I think calling Rivers right now, it would be like your best bet for the Saints. I mean, they need a quarterback. Uh, Jason, uh, Taysom Hill's injury is not – it could be considered long-term or short-term. But if I was the Saints, I would just call, you know, uh, Philip Rivers and have him join the team or a tryout.
0: And I, I feel like that would probably – like if you're going to sign a quarterback, that's obviously the best option because when mm-hmm. you start looking at Phillip Rivers – I mean, he's going to be a future Hall of Famer, and I feel like if you sign Phillip Rivers, it's not going to bring the as much, I don't know, I guess bad media attention if you maybe sign a guy like Cam Newton or something like that, because I know some people, you know, Cam Newton was vocal about not being signed, and then he had the vaccine, so then maybe a team would sign him, but I find the Saints, I would consider signing Rivers more than Newton, because Rivers fits Drew Brees' is playing style, you know, he's exactly for real, uh, for, forever, much much different uh, than Cam Newton. Cam Newton does not really fit that mold for Sean Payton quarterback. But I I don't know if right now would be the time. I feel like if the Saints won one or two more games, then I would I would definitely do it if I'm New Orleans. But right now, I feel like I know you're five and two, but you still had to play the Buccaneers you still start to play the Panthers who. Should be better. You know, the, uh, the Falcons have improved a little bit. They don't have an easy schedule. If they're still able to get maybe one or two, and then all of a sudden, like, you're you're 6-2, 7-2, something like that, it's not considerate. It. Right now, I think it's just a tad bit too early for somebody to come out of retirement who just retired. But um, if they went the next, like, two games, something like that, I'm all for it. But I think maybe just give it a week or two, and, and, and then we'll see. But I, I would love to see River, Rivers in um new orleans i think it'll be a perfect spot and think about it even the limited times rivers would be a limited amount of time rivers would be in new orleans i mean he could really mentor a guy like Taysom hill a guy like Winston. you know Winston's already learned so much from one of the best quarterbacks of all time drew Brees. then he's listening to another quarterback who's one of the better during our era and philip rivers I, f- I think it could be very beneficial if rivers when they're going to the saints
1: yeah, I mean, uh, Rivers would be the perfect fit for this team, but are the Saints going to shell out a whole bunch of money out of him? I mean, that's going to be the key because uh, the salary cap for the Saints isn't really that good right now, but, I mean, we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, they call him and maybe he leads them to the Super Bowl. That would be a good story, actually
0: especially for a guy who's played forever and it's not really been a guy who's been in the postseason much during this time with the Chargers and especially you know that'd be just cool because he's played for the NFL so long hasn't been to a Super Bowl before then he comes into retirement for a you know unfortunate circumstance for Winston at least the Super Bowl and it's crazy because the Saints, you know, they've had so much adversity right now. You know, they didn't have a home game for like the first month because, you know, with the Storms in New Orleans, you know, with Winston's out now. Michael Thomas hasn't played now. They've had some quite a bit of energy, uh, injuries and things come up. And they still are one of the better teams in the NFC record-wise. And it's just crazy. Sean Payton has done a terrific job in coaching. I feel like somebody else has done a terrific job coaching so far as Mike Rabel, you know, head coach in the Tennessee Titans, uh, the Titans, to me, have done much better than anticipated. I mean, when the Titans put the Chiefs together uh, a couple weeks ago, I mean, Derrick Henry had more passing touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes in that game. I guarantee you nobody thought that was going to happen. But it was a nice couple of days nope. ago. Derrick Henry uh, is out with a foot injury. He could be out six to ten weeks. It was announced the Titans have already signed Adrian Peterson, one of the best running backs of all time. And I was honestly surprised he's still on the you know free agent market. I feel like he done a good enough job with the Lions last season to be on a team this year. But this is very interesting, and they've gave Henry the ball so many times throughout the past couple of seasons. Uh, With Tennessee, that's been a big uh, reason of their success the last several years. But now I'm extremely intrigued to watch Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill has been one of those guys who, you know, he's never really had the proof he's that guy. You know, he's been more of a game manager ever since Henry's really took off. He's never really had to put a team on his back much. And now with Henry out, we're going to have to see Tannehill put the team on his back. Something he's really never had to do during his time in Tennessee. You look at his numbers; they're very good. You know, he's he doesn't throw a ton of picks, but he doesn't throw a ton of yards. It's because he's more of a game manager role. He plays. He has turnover-free football, which is great. But now, you know, that's when he you know he kind of has a, a leash on him. You know, he's he doesn't he kind of has a limited amount of things he's going to do because when you're giving the ball off to Henry, with Henry out. With Ryan Tannehill taking over, it's going to have more passing attempts and being more involved in this offense. It's interesting. I'm, I'm excited for it. If you're the Titans right now. You better be glad the Colts have had some injury issues and they're doing worse than expected, and you better be glad you're in, at first in the AFC South right now because if we're talking about this and if the Colts and Titans were tied uh, in the division, I don't know who would come up on top at the end of the regular season because I, I trust Ryan Tannehill to a certain extent, but he's never really took that next step I'm really intrigued to see if he's going to be able to take the Titans to the next step without his main guy, Derrick Henry.
1: Well, first of all, I have Derrick Henry in my fantasy football team, and it's going to really, really, really hurt when I drop him because he has been my savior for fantasy league, and uh, luckily I'm in first place in my uh, my division. So it's going to hurt, but uh, it's going to hurt. It's really going to hurt when um, he – well, I drop him. So, but anyway, I think Adrian Peterson is going to be a good substitute for uh, uh, Derrick Henry. But how much does he have left in the tank, though? And also, can our offensive line actually do his job and, you know, create pathways for him to run? And, yeah, I think Adrian that good is, is going to be a very good signing for them. And... The Titans going to be, oh, it's going to hurt them in the long run, but I think they're going to be okay.
0: Like I said, I I, I would assume they're going to be okay, but they are very fortunate that the Colts are struggling. Because, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: I, I, I like, if you were to tell me, like, heading into the season, Henry's going to get hurt at some point. If you're a Titans fan, like, that, that's not good. Because the, the Colts have been struggling, and they should not be. They've they've been injured at times. You know, Wentz, been, Wentz has been hurt. Quentin Nelson has been hurt. But, you know, the AFC South, you can go ahead and mark off pretty much, well, I was going to say guarantee victory. But, you know, I said that against the Jets last week, and I'm sure the Titans said it against mm-hmm. the Jets. And look at that, what had happened. More than likely, you got wins against the Jaguars and the Texans. Probably the two worst teams in the NFL. And those, so those you can kind of have those, With some of the other games, it's, it's kind of a toss up, because you don't know how Tannehill is going to perform against a top notch defense, and because he's he's never had to be that guy to put him on the you know on their back. You look at probably ninety other ninety percent of other starting quarterbacks in the league, they're the guys who have to put the team on his back. Since he has Henry, he doesn't have to do that. He just hands the ball off, runs away so he doesn't get hit. But with having Julio and trading him for him in the offseason, looking back, I think that's very, very beneficial now. Obviously, you can't, you don't know when injuries are going to happen. But if they didn't have Julio right now, that's even more concern. I know he's not what he used to be. But having AJ Brown and Julio Jones for uh, Ryan Tannehill with uh, Derrick Henry uh, going to be hurt for a while, that's, that's going to help Tannehill a lot. But I'm still intrigued to see how he's going to perform the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. Do you think the AFC South is a weak division, though? Because there's only two good teams in it. Well, if if wait wait, wait, if, you count the Colts as a good team, but I, I personally think they're not a good team. The Colts.
0: I think the Colts are average, but when they're healthy, I think they're good. But regardless, I even before the season started, and when I had high expect, expect, expectations for the Colts, against the season, I had the Colts winning the AFC South. Obviously, that's not going to happen. I had the Titans at like ten or eleven wins. That's probably going to be around that range, and I was really low on the Jaguars and the Texans and regardless of you know the inconsistency of the Colts you have the Titans and that's really it right now even before the season started i thought the AFC South was 100% without a doubt the worst division in the NFL i don't think anything else is possibly comparable because when you look at it the only division that to me like you could like the NFC East like the Cowboys and then you have like the Giants I think they're capable of being the the Tex, uh, Texans and the Giants uh Texans and the Jaguars. Every single team in the NFC East would be those two bottom teams. And well, I think
1: I, I disagree. I think uh the worst division in football is actually the NFC East. Like you can't really trust the Cowboys one. The football team, Derrick Shambles right now. Uh the Giants, who knows? I mean, they're just one quarterback away for being great. And you got the Eagles who he seems to be lost, but they're just there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because when you when you think about the AFC South and you think about the NFC East, they're kind of comparable in the fact you have that top dog in the division, you know, you have the Titans and you have the Cowboys. And then after that, the, the I would say the Colts in Washington's comparable. Like as of right now, I think the Colts would win, win, but they're both of those teams, you know, they've had injury situations and they should not be that bad. They are underperforming and they should be much better than they are. And then you mm-hmm. have the Eagles who Eagles aren't good. And then the Giants, who have expectations, but just their record, they've been, you know, unfortunate, you know, with some penalties against the Chiefs. The injuries also. In, in tons of tons of injuries. Uh I think Barkley, um, I think he was announced he has the coronavirus and there's a chance he could possibly be out this week. And you look, you know, the questionable offsides call against Washington, I think a week two and the AFC South, like right? the, the the Texans and the uh, Texans and the Jaguars, to me, if they played the NFC East, I think that every single team in the NFC East would beat those teams. So I feel like the NFC East is definitely the worst team in the NFC. I would probably put the number two, but just because of the lack of depth um, in the AFC South with the Jaguars and the Texans, I would probably have the AFC South as the worst team.
1: Well, I think we could agree on that. But I think right now, no, for now, but in the past, I think the NFC East has been like the worst team. But I, I could see your argument for like the the South being the worst division in football.
0: And it's it's an interesting because when you heading into the season, you know th- there will be some divisions, and you think, well, that's much better than the people think, or that division is really sucky. For instance. You know, think of the AFC West. I think the AFC West is one of the more underrated divisions in the league heading into the season because I've said I don't even know how many times once Denver gets their quarterback. Like if Denver got Deshaun Watson, they are 100% Super Bowl Contenders. Their roster is incredible and it's not talked about enough. They just need to find their quarterback. The Raiders, despite everything going on, you know, with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and everything, you know, they are still first place in AFC West. There's mind-boggling. The Chargers, they are really good. You look at the Chiefs, they are underperforming. Nobody really expected this to happen. And it's interesting because when you look at teams and divisions who, you know, you think they should be better but aren't, you know, with, with the Chiefs this week, you know, they have a, you know, heading of the season, you think it's going to be a possible game of the year candidate, you know, between the Chiefs and the Packers. The Packers right now look like they're the best team in the league. The Chiefs look lost. You know, they're barely getting by even in the wins. They beat the Eagles and they still gave up 30 points against Jalen Hurts, which is just unacceptable. And the Chiefs for the Packers this week, and this was expected to be a fantastic game. But it was nine couple of hours ago. Aaron Rodgers is out of this game. Jordan loves going to, to start. Aaron Rodgers is out because he uh, tested positive for the coronavirus, and he did not get his vaccine, which is very, very interesting. Because we talked about before the show, August twenty-four, something like that. It was announced on like a local, you know, Green Bay, you know, news station that Rodgers had the vaccine. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Garofalo, Mike Garofalo and Rappaport both reported this from NFL Network that he has not had a shot. Rogers said he did have a shot two months ago. Like, I have no issues if you're going to take the vaccine or you don't take the vaccine. I'm not going to think of you differently for, you know, taking a shot. But I I don't understand why Rogers would lie about taking the vaccine. That just makes no sense to me. It's kind of ignorant. Like, I, I don't get why you would do that. If, if fans don't like you because you don't take a shot or do take a shot, they they were never fans of you in the first place. In my opinion, that's that's just dumb. But it's dumb for lying that you took it, that you supposedly took a shot, but you didn't. But this game, I mean, this this had matched the year all over it potentially. And then we're going to see Jordan Love against this very very bad Chiefs team. And as crazy as it sounds, I still don't think it's a guarantee the Chiefs are going to win this game for whatever reason the Chiefs were picked to win this game. It's just stupid. It makes no sense. They are not playing as what they should be. The Packers have won seven straight games. And when you look at Jordan Love, I mean, this could be a very you know early indication, which you could possibly see next season for Green Bay, playing against Kansas City. Uh, this should be still an intriguing matchup, but it's like to see Riders out uh, in this game. But I still think it's going to be a uh, pretty nice one between
1: the Chiefs and the Packers. Well, there's going to be one crucial element for this game. How will the Chiefs' defense respond to Jordan Love? I think their defense, the Chiefs' defense is, is really, really atrocious. I and mean, that's, like, one of the reasons why they're struggling, along with the offense. Uh, but I will have to go with that because the, the Chiefs' defense has been terrible. Uh, and the other factor is how will Patrick Mahomes respond to all this? Will he be the Patrick Mahomes or old? or oh, he will be the, the new Patrick Mahomes this season. You know, just throwing passes while being sacked. Uh, one no-look passes to the other team. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Mahomes and the Chiefs uh, respond to Jordan Love being in the starting lineup now that uh, Aaron Rodgers is out with COVID.
0: And something else to take, you know, is – Even if Jordan Loves plays average, like, let's say, you know, 16 of 25, 200 yards, a touchdown. Just some turnover-free football, nothing great, nothing to brag about. The way the Packers' defense played against the Cardinals, if Jordan Loves just plays, like I just said, you know, average... I think I, I feel pretty confident in the Packers win because you look what the Packers defense did without their defense coordinator, you know, going up against the Cardinals, who were the last remaining, you know, undefeated team last week on Thursday Night Football. The majority of the game, you know, they were really able to contain Kyler Murray. I know they, you know, could have won it at the end, you know, AJ Green, you know, everything like that. Uh, Green Bay got the interception. But when you look at it, like they were able to contain, you know, a high powered offense to Kyler Murray. It was very interesting. I'm excited to see this Green Bay defense, especially when Mahomes struggling. Um, I think I think this could be another one of those games where Mahomes struggles again, and we're going to be talking about next week. All the, the Chiefs, you know, still bad, stuff like that. I, I trust this Green Bay defense right now much more than I do the Kansas City offense because even in wins like we saw on Monday, even when they've won games, their offense still does not look good.
1: Well, yeah, I think uh, it starts with Mahomes one but I'm actually more concerned with the uh, Chiefs' defense because they have not seen tape on Jordan Love. It's like the Mike White effect, Mike White effect, went on uh, with the Bengals uh, a couple of days earlier. So here's Jordan Love who's going to be thrust into the spotlight, but the Chiefs do not have any tape on him since he hasn't played an official NFL game. So is he going to really? Is he going to throw for over 400 yards like Mike White did, or will he be a dud? And also. This is going to be like a sneak peek of the Joy Love error when Aaron Rodgers is gone next season.
0: And it's interesting because, you know, with Mike White, nobody expected him to throw, just throw for over 400 yards. I had the Bengals defense and I had the, the Rams defense against the Texans. I went back and forth the whole week. The very last second, I took the Bengals defense because Corey Davis was out. So without mm-hmm. his number one receiver, he was still able to do that. Jordan Love has Devontae Adams, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the league, and Aaron Jones is one of the better running backs in the league. So if Mike White can do that, at that time, the Bengals are the top 10 defense. Jordan Love is capable of having a similar performance than Mike White because how just utter trash this this Chiefs um, defense is. It's going to be a great game. I would not be surprised if the Packers won. As of right now, I'm picking the Packers because I – I feel like with Jordan Love playing, Green Bay's defense knows they're going to have to step up and play just as good as they did this past Thursday, maybe even better to contain Mahomes. Uh, It's going to be a great one. I think it'll be close, but I think uh, Green Bay will take the victory in that one. And, you know, we've kind of talked, you know, uh, about football, you know, pretty much the majority of the time. You know, I kind of mentioned and talked about the college football playoff rankings before you uh, joined and everything. And we talked about the you know trade deadlines, and all that stuff, some guys out for the season. And um one kind of thing, one kind of final thing here. You know, I didn't really follow WWE like I used to. And know, when I was thinking about, you know, topics, what we're gonna talk about, I was just randomly scrolling on Instagram and I saw somebody post this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Today is the seventh year anniversary of the New Day, you know, forming. You know, New Day to me is one of my favorite WWE tags. Well, probably my one of my favorite tag teams of all time. I would say one of the most bigger names of tag teams of all time in WWE, one of the more well known ones uh, today. And so, do you have kind of like a favorite feud, storyline, match, or anything like that in the New Day?
1: Oh, man. Wow. There's been plenty of feuds with the New Day, but I would have to go with that feud with the. Uh, the Usos, a, a couple of years ago, the Hell in a cell match. Uh, that tag team match was just incredible. I think Xavier Woods, uh, Big E, and Kofi Kingston. Uh, to me, they're not the number one stable in wrestling history. I got them actually probably in ninth place because there's been plenty of good stables other than them that's better than them, like in terms of you know having success. Uh popularity, like for example, you got the NWO, the Hart Foundation, even the Shield recently. Uh, You got them, you got the Legion of Doom. Uh, You got all these old school tag team and stables that I think is better than the New Day, but the New Day is actually the best stable right now now in recent history.
0: Yeah, I I would – and it's it's interesting because as Ndude was wrestling like 20, 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they would not be nearly as popular as they are today because they're much more kind of like the kiddier product, something you wouldn't see, you know, kind of in the mm-hmm. attitude era. And since wrestling has just been dying year after year after year, the viewership has been decreasing by a lot the last over years. They've not really had much competition when it comes to. Top stables, and you know, not just WWE, but in you know, wrestling as a whole. My favorite memory of the new day would definitely probably be you know, agree with what you said with the Usos. Uh, that was just a fantastic storyline. So I felt like the the storylines with them and the Usos were always the best ones. And the um, I don't know what you call it. like the um, uh, the the rap thing on Fourth of July when they mentioned Xavier Woods and they re- with uh, Paige. I thought that was yeah, pretty
1: yeah. Cool. Um, I'll go that.
0: I, th- I think that and just their storyline with the Usos is probably my favorite, but it's crazy because seven years ago, you know, I think the New Day was going to last at all. You, they're kind of like Retribution, you know. It was one of those things, you know, they, they hype up and you think it's going to be crap, and they turn out to be, you know, one of the more popular tag teams in recent memory. And it's it's just crazy. But you know, that kind of about really does it, you know, for this episode. Like I said, we, you know, we kind of talked about the, you know, trades at the NFL trade deadline, winners and losers at the uh, trade deadline. Some, uh, you know, people going to be out the next several weeks, out for the season, Jameis Winston-Thomas out for the year, and uh, the Bengals and Jets uh, recap. Uh, so can you, can can you kind of tell some of the listeners who can follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny underscore sports and on Instagram at Kenny the Sports Guy. Again, on Twitter at Kenny underscore sports and on Instagram at Kenny the Sports Guy. You can also find me at com. Ken with two wins. and you can find also find me on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher.
0: Definitely put the links in the description below so you can you know check out your content, follow you, and everything. Uh, that about does it for this uh, video. Make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel. Make sure to follow me, the Sports Two Hind Show on Instagram and S Two Hind Show on uh, Twitter. Uh, once again, thank you all so much for listening. I will see you all next time on Sports Two Hind Show.